Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. I know a lot of people who, like me, are avid podcast listeners. I listen to a lot of podcasts each week while I'm exercising or driving or just trying to make good use of my time. I want to be inspired. I want to learn. I want to improve my thinking. And I hope this Open Your Eyes podcast can do that for you. And when you're done listening, you walk away with a few insights and a mindset to think and live better. And if that happens today, then feel free to copy the link to this podcast and share it with a friend. They'll be grateful you thought of them, and it just may be what they need in their life today. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about becoming a bucket filler. Now, for many people living in the United States, it's remarkable how unfamiliar we are with Canada, despite Canada being our closest neighbors. And when pressed to name the 10 provinces and three territories in Canada, most of us in the U.S. can't do it. Even if you know the names of the provinces, Alberta, British Columbia, Manitoba, New Brunswick, Newfoundland, Nova Scotia, Ontario, Prince Edward Island, Quebec, and Saskatchewan, that doesn't mean you know where they're located within the country. The largest province in terms of geographic area is Quebec. The largest in terms of population is Ontario, thanks to the city of Toronto. And my favorite city in Canada? Calgary, located in Alberta. And it's near Calgary in a town called Airdrie, where Jamie Erickson lives and works as a paramedic. And it's not uncommon for Erickson to get calls to auto accidents. And given the distance many people travel in Alberta and the sometimes treacherous weather conditions, she and her shift partners are prepared to serve in a number of very difficult situations. Well, a few months ago at 4.30 in the afternoon, Jamie and her shift partner were called to an auto accident north of Calgary. And the report they received of what happened as they were on the way was limited. Apparently, two females were in a car and the driver of the car had lost control and veered into the lane of oncoming traffic and struck a truck traveling in the opposite direction. Well, when they arrived at the scene, it was immediately obvious that the collision was extreme. There was debris spread across the crash site, and everyone in both cars were injured. The driver of the car, a young woman, had been able to get out of the crushed vehicle, but the passenger was still in the car. Well, Jamie approached the car and knew the girl needed help. The fire department was on the scene and would go to work to extract the girl, and another ambulance had arrived to take her away. But this didn't stop Jamie from climbing inside the car to attend to the injured girl. When Jamie got inside the car, the injuries the girl had sustained were obviously extremely severe. Her face had taken the brunt of the collision. Jamie did her best to keep the girl alive, attending to her injuries. But as she worked, it was obvious that the girl wasn't going to make it. But Jamie continued her efforts as the fire department extricated her from the car placed her on a stretcher, and the ambulance took her away. Well, on the way back home, Jamie was grief-stricken for the family of the young girl. She told her shift partner she was frustrated she couldn't have done more, knowing that later a family would likely lose their daughter, sister, and grandchild. Well, Jamie finished her shift and went home to deal with the emotion of it all. 
something first responders do. They go home and reflect on the day and resolve somehow to go back and do their difficult job again. But this day would be different. A short time after arriving home, there was a knock on the door, and it was the police. They came into the room and told Jamie something she had dreamt about before, that the girl she had sat with in the crumbled vehicle and kept alive for a time was, in fact, Jamie's own daughter, Montana. How could it be? The girl had been unrecognizable because of the severity of her injuries, but how did Jamie not know? Well, Jamie would later say, My worst nightmare as a paramedic has come true. On November 15th at 4.30 p.m., my partner and I got dispatched to a motor vehicle collision just west of Airdrie. Upon arrival, we found two patients with injuries, the passenger being trapped and critically injured. I sat in the car intended to the critically injured patient doing whatever I could, waiting for the fire department to extricate her. Star's ambulance took over patient care once we got the patient out and flew her to FMC. My shift was over and I went home. Minutes after arriving home, my doorbell rang and my life was changed forever. The police informed me that my daughter had been in an accident. The critically injured patient I had just attended to was my own flesh and blood, my only child, my mini-me, my daughter Montana. And her injuries were so horrific, I didn't recognize her. Well, Montana didn't survive. And Jamie said, although I'm thankful for the 17 years I had with her, I'm shattered and left wondering, what would you have become, my baby girl? What would you have been? I will never see you graduate. I will never see you get married. I will never know who you would have been. I will cherish the memories we made and the time we had together, but I'm shattered. I'm broken. Now, many of you listening to this podcast can relate to Jamie. You've experienced loss and want the time back, the moments back, and sometimes wonder why so much has been taken from you. But what's remarkable about Jamie's story is what happened since her devastating loss. The community has rallied around her. Her fellow first responders have been there daily to help her, to fill her emptiness. And yes, they raised money on GoFundMe, and they've helped Jamie and her husband in dozens of ways. You know, years ago, author Tom Rath co-wrote a book that he called How Full Is Your Bucket? And in this book, he proposes a metaphor that he learned from his grandfather. His metaphor is this. We are all like buckets, or we have invisible buckets. And sometimes we are full, and sometimes we're empty. And when we're full, we feel loved, appreciated, noticed, and affirmed. And when we're empty, we feel negative, discouraged, unappreciated, and feel a void in our life. He also suggests that all of us have figurative dippers, a large ladle, if you will, that we can use in one of two ways. We can dip our ladle in someone else's bucket and take from their emotional well-being, or we can use the same ladle to fill their bucket. Now, I've always remembered Tom's metaphor and tried to use it in my life. You see, we have a chance to be a bucket dipper or a bucket filler. And it's easy to fill someone else's bucket each day. And it's fascinating how good you can become at becoming a bucket filler and how amazing it is to be talented at helping other people. Because it is a remarkable talent. And some people are really good at doing it authentically, and others, not so much. And if you're leading a team or family, being a bucket filler is essential to improving your influence 
and creating a team that loves to be around each other and improving the end result of your collective work together. So if this is the case, then let's talk for a few minutes about how to become better at filling other people's bucket. Now, if you can, think about a person you know who's good at filling your emotional bucket. When you see them, what do they do? How do they make you feel? And what skills do they possess to be a person that fills you with positivity and confidence? Well, let's start with this simple principle. Bucket fillers are purposeful, meaning it is their purpose, or they see it as their purpose in life, to help others, to fill other people's buckets. Now, this isn't as easy as it sounds. To have the wherewithal and purpose to put the interests of other people ahead of your own, to put their emotional well-being before yours, and to put your own mood and feeling second is hard to do. And no matter which of us try, we will not be perfect. And to be clear, we're not talking about pleasing people for the purpose of getting people to like us. We're talking about a genuine mission in life to be someone who helps fill other people's buckets. You know, years ago, I worked with a remarkable woman named Suzanne, and she worked for years as a television reporter trying to climb the ladder in the news industry and focused on her promotion and media exposure as a measure of her success. And Suzanne and her husband had tried for years to have a baby, yet God hadn't blessed them with children. They had visited doctors, been tested, and tried every available treatment, yet they still couldn't have children. They even applied for adoption. She said at the time her mindset had become so much about her, focused on her own bucket, if you will, her loss and her inability to have a baby, caused her to think obsessively about her own situation. Well, during her career as a reporter, she had covered most of the major crime stories, and had established relationships with police officers in the area. So one morning, it wasn't out of the ordinary, that she received a call from a police officer giving her a tip. A man who had been digging through a dumpster looking for aluminum cans had discovered the dead body of an abandoned baby. Well, Susan hurried to the crime scene, and she watched as the detectives climbed into the dumpster and began their investigation. As she watched, she was despondent and angry. What a waste. What I would have given to have that baby, she thought to herself. How could something like this happen? Well, she watched with tears in her eyes as the detectives lifted the tiny body from the alley dumpster into the van and drove away. Now, she stated in her news report later that day that police soon located the teenage girl who hid the pregnancy from her family and delivered the baby in her bathtub before she left it in the dumpster in the alley. Well, Suzanne later interviewed the father of the teenage mother. He told Suzanne that he learned about a safe haven law in other states, the law that allows mothers to leave children at designated safe havens like hospitals or fire stations without the fear of prosecution. And he felt if that law had been in place in their state, his daughter would not have abandoned her baby in a dumpster and the baby would be alive today. Well, Suzanne said, I knew right then I had a purpose, a mission, and it was personal. And she knew it was no longer about her. She went to work. She contacted her state senator and began to lobby for a safe haven law. She wrote letters, made phone calls, and brought the issue to light. And because of her determination and hard work, the law was passed the following year. 
At the signing of the bill into law, Suzanne was covering the story. And when the governor signed the bill, he called Suzanne to the front of the room and gave her the pen used to sign the bill and told her this would not have happened without you. But the story doesn't end there. Suzanne and her husband continued to try to become pregnant with no success. They waited without success for a baby to adopt. Well, one day, Suzanne was talking to her sister and told her she felt something was about to happen soon, that God had a plan for a baby to come into her life. Then, within a few days, the phone rang, and a caseworker for the Department of Welfare told her about an abandoned baby that was left at the hospital the previous day under the protection of the safe haven law. She told Suzanne that her name was chosen from a list of potential parents who were trying to adopt, and if they wanted the girl, they could adopt her. So the necessary paperwork was completed, and baby Lily found her new home with Suzanne and her husband. Lily was the fifth baby left in the state under the safe haven law. Since then, dozens of abandoned babies have been legally and safely adopted because of Suzanne. And what Suzanne learned is that when your purpose authentically becomes to help others and you worry less about yourself, your life becomes richer and you find better results. And I suspect when Suzanne measures her life, it won't likely be the roles she found in front of the camera. It won't be what news anchor position she held, but rather the work she did on behalf of children that will matter the most to her. So how do you make your purpose helping other people fill their bucket? Well, the easy answer is to get started, to do it on purpose. So today, as you begin your day, ask yourself, how can you be a bucket filler and whose bucket can you fill? You know, sometimes when I go to work, I pull up and I park and I have to sit in my car and give myself a bit of a talking to. I have to get a game plan. When I see people, what will I say? What will my facial expressions be? And how will I bring positivity and kindness and authenticity and affirmation to others? Well, just as Suzanne decided she was on a mission and it was no longer about her own situation, so you and I can decide that it is no longer about us, but about others. The point here is get started. And just by remembering that your purpose at work or home today is to be a bucket filler, watch, you will begin to improve. Today, when you talk to the first colleague on your team, give them positive affirmation. It's not hard. Janice, thanks for showing up today. You make a huge difference on our team. Thank you. Or, Jim, I love how you kindly go about helping other people. You're a great example to me. Just find some small ways to begin to pour into other people. Next, remember, bucket filling is in the eye of the bucket holder, not the bucket filler. Fill their buckets with the things that are important to them, not you. You've heard of the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. Often when we go about bucket feeling, we affirm or give in ways that we like. But the platinum rule is to do unto others as they would have you do unto them. Affirm in ways that they can relate to and appreciate. For example, your bucket feeling today may be to seek out a few of your team members to encourage them to higher levels of performance. This only works if you are genuinely interested in helping them. A bucket-filling move may be to spend time helping them, 
to give of your time to help them set appointments or practice their work skills. And when you give of your time to genuinely help others, you fill their bucket. Remember, authenticity is the key. Be genuine. Be sincere. Perhaps you've heard the story of the golden age of the Tuscan sculptor. At the time, white Carrera marble, like that used on Michelangelo's David, was the preferred choice of sculptors commissioned by only the wealthiest patrons. Sculpting in Carrera marble was neither fast nor easy. The artist had to very carefully chip off the marble layer by layer. Any mistake could be disastrous. The marble could easily crack or chip. So often, sculptors who were less talented would chip and scar the marble. And rather than throw away the expensive block of stone, they would resort to subterfuge. They would apply soft white wax to hide the flaw. And the flaw wouldn't likely be discovered until after the fee had been paid and the sculpture delivered. As this became more and more common, buyers became more and more discriminating and careful. They wouldn't accept a sculptor until it had been examined. At the time of examination, the highest standard of excellence was given the name Sinna Sera, meaning without wax. Later, those two words were combined to form the word sincere, which means pure, whole, or intact. To be sincere in your connections or your bucket filling is to simply not have an agenda other than to be interested, to give, and to help. Now, this is incredibly important when filling your children's buckets. Kids will look for the ulterior motive when you seek to help them. But if you're sincere, if you're consistent in your effort, the more trust you will create, and trust will make all the difference. Years ago, Dr. Stephen Covey, the author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, introduced a simple concept called your emotional bank account. Like our bucket metaphor, Covey's metaphor of an emotional bank account works like this. By proactively doing things that build trust in a relationship, one makes deposits. Conversely, by reactively doing things that decrease trust, one makes withdrawals. And the current balance in your emotional bank account with someone else will determine how well two people can communicate and problem-solve together. If you're struggling to communicate with your child, you may need to ask yourself, do I need to make more deposits? Now, when an emotional bank account has more deposits than withdrawals, the people involved in the relationship begin to trust each other. One educator said, one of the key foundations of a strong relationship is trust. In order to build trust, one must continually make deposits of honesty, kindness, unconditional love, patience, all of those essential virtues that strengthen any relationship. And in doing so, we build large reserves in their emotional bank account. Next, remember that connecting, really connecting socially, is a way to make deposits in another person's emotional bank account. A few years ago, a group of researchers started a series of research studies trying to determine the role of social connection in protecting us against depression or symptoms of depression. After controlling for a host of factors, including age, gender, health status, and other things, here's what they found. When participants who were depressed joined one social group, their risk of depression dropped by 24%. 
If they joined three groups, the risk decreased by 63%. There is a protective element, a way to help others when you get connected. This is why time, talking, particularly talking with positive and affirming people, can and does help your mental mindset. Now, you may think that to fill a bucket, you have to do something big. But just connecting, just sharing, just listening can and does make all the difference. In my PhD work in servant leadership, I read and reread the writings of Spears, who said, leadership and the desire to serve needs to be reinforced by a deep commitment to listening intently to others. When I was a young man, like all young men, I had the typical troubles with self-worth and identity in high school. And I tried in so many ways to find myself, so much so that I never felt at rest or at peace. And it was a real difficult time for me. And I had a coach, Tim Pontius. When I would come to practice, Coach Pontius would always be there. He was always at ease. He would often come over and sit next to me, or during our warm-up, he would stretch nearby. He was never in a hurry. He just asked questions and listened. He would pause and wait for me to talk a little more. He confided in me, and over the course of several years, his goodness and approach started to rub off on me. He taught me who I was, that I was enough. And this was a tremendous gift to me. In fact, it gave me confidence that I would have never found on my own at a time in my life when I needed self-worth. And I've reflected back on Coach Pontius many times in my life, and I wonder, did he know he had this gift, this gift of listening? Did he know he was a giver, a bucket filler? I think it was the reason he was a coach. One of the foremost qualities of a great servant is being able to listen and act upon what you hear. And I believe this extends to listening to the impressions that come our way when you're seeking to be a bucket filler during your day. I believe that if you will open your heart to be inspired, that you will be inspired as to how to fill other people's buckets. And here's what I've learned. When you open your mind that way, often the inspiration that comes your way requires some faith. For example, you may be inspired to approach a person you haven't seen in a while. You could dismiss the impression as chance or embrace the impression as inspired and act with faith. Faith is a powerful concept. It has the ability to heal and work miracles. You know, one of my favorite stories from Scripture comes from Mark chapter 10. There, we read the story of blind Bartimaeus who sat by the highway side begging. Now, in those days, it's believed that beggars in Jericho wore a garment with a special insignia that certified their pitiful condition to be genuine and gave them license to beg. And if you had the insignia on your garment, you could beg without retribution from others. Well, Bartimaeus wore such a garment. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth who was walking nearby, he cried out saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Now, to call Jesus the son of David was to call him the prophesied Messiah. And to say this publicly was dangerous to say the least. In Israel, people were punished or killed for making such a declaration in public. When he was told to be quiet, Bartimaeus cried even louder, again, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Well, 
after his undaunted demonstration of faith, Jesus calls the blind man. And the scripture says, And he, Bartimaeus, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. Bartimaeus threw off his garment, knowing he would never be a beggar again. And based on this demonstration of faith, Jesus says, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And Bartimaeus was healed. Here's the point. When you're inspired, discard your excuses, leave your poor ways of thinking or doing behind, and follow what you're inspired to do with faith. Seek to fill the bucket you are inspired to fill, and you will find greater results and healing in what you do. Next, bucket fillers are not me monsters. You know who me monsters are, right? It seems that no matter what, their focus is on themselves and how they're perceived or what attention they're getting for themselves. Me monsters post on social media to add attention to themselves. But bucket fillers only post to help others or to build a business or add attention to others. Selfies, it seems, are snacks for the me monster. And selfies, by definition, focus on self. The more likes I get, the bigger my self-importance grows. You know, I work with a lot of young people, and it seems today, more than ever, that we're growing me monsters. I see young people who believe, when I fail, it's not my fault. Somebody else must be blamed. And their failure creates victims, and their victimhood seeks attention. And instead of admitting their failures and striving to do better next time, victims want all eyes on them. Well, the problem is, that the me monster has a voracious appetite that needs to be fed constantly. And the result is the feeling that if the focus isn't on me, then I need to do something or say something that will refocus attention back onto me. And soon we find that we need outrageous acts or words to continue to get the craved attention. Now, I'm sure, like me, you know people who focus almost exclusively on what they get or how they're perceived, or whether they get their way or they're inconvenienced. And being around these people is both tiresome and doing business with them is often difficult because they're always weighing whether they get anything from giving. You know, the scripture says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give unto you. The law of giving is a law or principle with a promise that if you become a person who focuses primarily on giving, you will find greater return than might otherwise be possible. You know, years ago, Dale Carnegie said, you can close more business in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get people interested in you. Next, when you are a giver and a bucket filler, you bring more enthusiasm, positivity, and results to your team and family you create a way of living that is fulfilling and worthwhile. John Wesley, who with his brother Charles, founded the Methodist movement in the Church of England, once said, Do all the good you can, in all the ways you can, to all the souls you can, in every place you can, all the times you can, with all the zeal you can, every time you can. This type of living has a lasting effect on you and your team. And the funny thing is, When I try to be a bucket filler, I feel so much better about who I am as a person. And this way of living is incredibly worthwhile. If you've been a bit empty of late, perhaps lacking a bit of purpose in your life, 
Try today to fill a bucket or two and watch how you'll feel. Look at those who live in your same house. Start with them, filling their bucket. Text, talk, listen, build, love, share, and affirm. And you'll find a greater level of positivity will take hold in your home. A feeling of hope will come into your life and you will feel the hand of God guiding you more. Most of all, your life will take on more flavor. So, as we end today, remember how the town of Airdrie went about filling the bucket of Jamie Erickson. Follow their lead. Seek in your day's work to work at making deposits in emotional bank accounts of other people. Make those deposits in the way that is important to and valued by them. Leave the me monster out of your life and listen to others and the inspiration from heaven that will come your way when you seek to be an instrument in God's hands by helping others feel valued, important, and loved. And watch. You will find a more fulfilling and happy life. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And be sure to join us next week for another podcast as we seek to open our eyes to who and what we can become.